Hey everyone, it's Alan Murabayashi with Sarah Jacobs back for another weekly episode of I Love Photography Live. Hey Sarah Jacobs, welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, I should uh, do a public service announce announcement first and say that this weekend is when we regain daylight savings time. So we will spring forward per usual, I guess that Sunday at 1 a.m. becomes Sunday at 2 p.m. I mean 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. All photographers so, rejoice. <laughs> yes, we finally get a little bit more light. It, you know, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how much can go on in a week. And I guess up until yeah, Wednesday-ish, I was like, yeah, it's a normal week in photography. You get some nice photos I'm looking at. And then all of a sudden, that sort of bombshell of Getty's announcement making 35 million images uh, public... Uh, kind of shook not only the industry, but it was getting a lot of play in, in kind of the mainstream media as well. That was, it was an interesting day. It was. Um, we had some, I guess a lot of the initial coverage that I saw came from British Journal of Photography. Uh, Olivier Laurent continues to do good work over there, uh, and if you haven't checked it out, that... Uh, that that reporting continues to go on. He's talking to uh, some associations today. Uh, I saw that he spoke to ASMP, who we also spoke to yesterday. He talked to the British uh, Photojournalist Society or something like that. Um, but for a great overview of what's going on, uh, BJP has the goods, and basically they took 35 million of their 150 million or so images in their archive and they made them basically free for non-commercial use. Now the interesting thing, Sarah, is their definition of non-commercial use includes editorial usage. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the example was given specifically by VP of Business Development uh, Craig Peters um, who said, if the New York Times and BuzzFeed wanted to use this embed, it would be okay under our terms and conditions. And I was like, what? That's, that's not non-commercial use, that's editorial use. And their point was, those types of companies aren't going to want to use it because they're not going to get the analytics, they're not going to be able to control you know, future potential advertising, um, etc. So it... it it's an interesting development. A lot of photographers that we spoke to are not happy about this. No. And you, I saw on your Facebook, you you posted uh, a little uh, link about that, and and some of your friends were not so happy about that either. Yeah, no, it's very rare that I post something on my own personal Facebook about this type of stuff. But this felt like a a very sad day. This felt like like a tragedy to me. So just, talk it through. Talk it through. What, what are you thinking here? <laughs> what am I thinking? I think that it devalues photography and devalues the work of photographers. You know that a site like BuzzFeed is going to be using it a lot <laughs> because it's not like they're trying to put quality images up, but they are getting a lot of clicks on their ads and they're making money and now they're going to be making money with free images. BuzzFeed was already stealing them, probably. In fact, I know that they were, but um, this just propels that. <laughs> okay, so so the BuzzFeeds of the world aside, <clears throat> I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to play devil's advocate in part because 
uh, a portion of me looks at this and says and, and sees the Getty logic, which is this. The images are, have already been created. It's not like it was some sort of uh, a new work for hire arrangement, right? The images have already been created and they've already been stolen. So Craig Peters' argument was we can either sit here and do nothing, which the industry largely has done, or we can try to do something. And our something is going to be this. Give away 35 million images for free using this kind of relatively primitive embed feature that Getty has. <clears throat> A lot of people have commented that uh, they aren't sort of responsively designed. I think we saw that over at Neiman Lab said it's not a responsive design, so if you have a mobile site uh, that has a, a small column and you put this image in that's 600 pixels or so in there, it's going to not work for your mobile site. But anyway, you know, this primitive thing, you put, you put it in there, uh, and now Getty has analytics to say, we know where images are being used, we can understand our clientele better, uh, now when people click on the image, it will go to uh, Getty for proper licensing if they want, if they need proper licensing, and we're helping to educate, in essence, the masses or new audiences that have traditionally stolen stuff to understand this is a licensable product in commercial settings. So that's my devil's advocate position. What do you say about say to that? <laughs> well, I mean, they compared it to YouTube. You know, saying, you know, YouTube allows you to embed the videos. And I'd say the main difference with that is that YouTube is a community-based social site where people are using it for free. Um, but that's not the same with Getty. Photographers are giving them their images under the impression that they will make money by doing so. <clears throat> okay, that's a very good point. That's very, well, and now to play devil's advocate to my own devil's, devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> Get, uh, uh, YouTube, the split for advertising revenue, because Getty Images said, in the future, we might run advertising against these images. Right, right. The split at YouTube is 45% to YouTube and 55% to the content creator when you run like a pre-roll or a post-roll ad against your video. So think of all the viral videos that you've seen, you know, like David Does Dentist. Mm -hmm. um, and the guy made, I don't know, you know, like $200,000 for his kid's college fund by running ads against that. So $200,000 represented 55% of the total ad haul for that video, and Google presumably got, I don't know what the math is, $175,000 uh, as well out of that. YouTube got that. And my point is, I mean, if photographers got 55% of anything from Getty, that would be fantastic, <laughs> given that the the standard contract now, to the best of my knowledge, is about 35% to the photographer. Mm -hmm. So it, I mean, it's another case where I feel like Getty is obviously doing what's best for them, not necessarily what's best for the photographer, which is fine because that's the business's prerogative, but sort of masquerading and, and going around the truth and saying, no, this is going to be really great to you for you. And, and I saw a comment today that said this was sort of the same line of reasoning that that they had when they purchased iStock and said, no, listen, if we sell images for like a penny or a dollar, it's going to expose all of these new opportunities and photographers will benefit. Well, I think it exposed new opportunities, but it's not clear that photographers actually benefited from the rise of microstock. But on the other hand, is 
is you know the devaluation of photography just kind of the inevitability of having a glut of photography and a lot of photographers who are willing to work for increasingly less? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Yes, and I think Getty coming out and saying, you know, with, with the ads over the images, uh, and there's no promise to give photographers any of that cut, they should have made a plan prior to releasing this. Like, you'll get this much of a cut when that time does come, or at least more um, of a discussion of, like, we're going to continue to discuss this and figure out how to help you guys out oh, once I, the ads I, come. I bet they've already run those numbers. I bet they know what that is internally. Oh, okay. And yeah. I, you know, may, maybe the maybe the mechanism isn't built, the technology isn't built yet, so they don't want to talk about it, and they don't want to discuss something that might change in the future. But I'm sure that they have, you know, scenario A, B, and C, and they know exactly what the opportunity is. But, you know, in the article that 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 I wrote yesterday, I I spoke to a friend who's in uh, advertising, in the advertising world, and he said, you know, banner advertising and advertising networks. The margins on that stuff, razor thin. It's not, it's not a great business to be in, and that's just for kind of like straight up advertising. And then you know we talked about this idea of retargeting, which is you visited uh, J Crew, we cookied you. Now we kind of know a little bit about who you are. You're the kind of person that goes to J Crew. So now when you go to another site, we're going to try to show you a J Crew site uh, ad, or we'll show you a. We'll show you a Banana Republic ad because it's kind of similar to J. Crew, um, and he said, "Well, that that gets kind of interesting." Um, and so, if you go to, uh, you know, like a mommy blogger site, and they know you're kind of in this 25 to 40 range, mommy blogger affluent. Now, now Getty has a lot of intelligence around the people that are using these services. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> I think the big data potential for this, for Getty to get all of this data and then not share it with anyone and use it. I mean, again, for me, look, Getty is who they are. They're a business. They got to make money. They're, they're, they're trying different things. But the fact of the matter is they don't have a good reputation amongst photographers. No. Time and time again, they don't have a good reputation amongst photographers. And so it's reasonable, therefore, that when a new initiative comes out, that photographers are very skeptical about the intent of Getty and that they, that they feel like they're being very opaque, regardless of how many FAQs Getty puts out about the new service and it's going to be beneficial, blah, blah, blah. I think photographers rightfully have uh, uh, the, the, the choice to be very skeptical about this program. But on the other hand, again, I mean, somebody's got to try something. Mm. You know, pe people are saying, oh, so Getty's giving up and basically saying we can't police the Internet. Well, of course, nobody can police the Internet. The Internet is huge. It's not like, okay, oh, you bought PicScout, so now you can scour the entire Internet. Like, you need like a billion computers to scour <laughs> the Internet to find every infraction. And not only that, pursuing a legal remedy to someone who stole an image is ex expensive and often will exceed the, the price of the licensing. So I, I understand Getty's viewpoint of saying, hey, okay, well, let's just, let's try this. I just wish that, I, I wish it was a little more fair or obviously fair to the photographer. And I wish that, 
you know, I know they spoke to some photographers prior to the launch, but I wish they had heard their concerns a little bit more um, than they did. Do you think other stock sites are going to follow suit? You know, that's a good... I, I, you know, the, the mood that I got yesterday in speaking to a lot of different people, I spoke to I spoke to Craig Peters uh, at Getty, I spoke to some photographers, I spoke to people from the trade organizations, and, you know, there was definitely this initial reaction of people uh, being angry mm -hmm. or concerned, but I think that a lot of people also are still sort of digesting the enormity of this program. And a lot of people have, uh, a lot of people said to me, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised that, that, that they're giving stuff away for free. Um, but we need to sort of wait and see as well. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see how this plays out is, what, you know, kind of the sentiment that I got from a lot of people. Yeah. So, I, you know, Getty is unfortunately kind of the only game in town. There's nobody that sort of approaches their muscle distribution and pockets. Um, and so there's no way that, like, a Corbis is going to try something like this. Mm, okay. But, the, you know, the other thing that I thought about was when you think about disruption within an industry, disruption rarely comes from the incumbent. You know, I, I mean, Apple might be uh, a counterpoint to that coming out with the iPhone out of nowhere. and But for the most part, you wouldn't expect Getty to be the guys that are like, oh, all of a sudden we're really nimble and we're changing the industry and it's really busting up the incumbent because it's not in their best interest. Right. So my expectation, you know, for a solution to this problem of image theft and price devaluation, et cetera, I don't think we expect to see that from Getty. I think we expected to see it from a startup. Who knows? Who knows? Or maybe maybe it's just an intractable problem. Maybe the expectation that photographers will make a living from photography as they have in the past is just unrealistic nowadays. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. Times are changing. They are. My my old boss at Hot Jobs always liked to say, you know, he said uh, uh, there used to be, you know, thousands of bike messengers. And then the fax machine came along, and all the bike messengers were up in arms. Oh, what? We're not going to be able to deliver anything anymore. Everybody will just fax each other. <laughs> and while it's true that the number of uh, full-time bike messengers decreased, they never went away because there's only so much things you can fax. Oh, and by the way, what happened to the fax machine, Sarah J? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That went away. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's sort of the march to progress. I mean, Ooh. I understand. You I know. have to say, I, I've used the facts more than a bike messenger. <laughs> okay, so there's there's promise for both. I think is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've used them equally. Uh, over at Neiman Labs, we we mentioned a, a pretty good article, um, and Joshua Benton, whose whose work I'm not familiar with. Uh, has some good analysis about sort of implications and the data implications and what Getty's really up to. So check that one out. Um, uh, switching gears. That was enough to talk about Getty. I'm sure we'll be talking about it kind of on a weekly basis. Mm. Uh, man, did you see what's going on <laughs> in the yes. Ukraine? Yes, it's insane. 
So for those of you who aren't familiar with what's happening in the Ukraine, they they got a new prime minister, president, I always mix those up, irrespective of which country you're in, uh, who had made promises to the people that they were going to sign some deal that would bring them closer to the European Union. He reneged kind of at the last moment and made a deal for a, a loan from Russia and Putin, who obviously doesn't have the best reputation in the world and particularly in the West, which caused rioting because Ukrainians, you know, when they busted up the Soviet Union, Ukrainians were like, Ukrainians were like yeah, we're, we're the Ukraine, we're not the Soviet Union. So there's obviously a little pride there, and, and Ukraine, I think, purely on an economic basis, sees more potential with uh, the European Union than it does with Russia. So the clashes occurred, they ousted the guy, um, and then down in the Republic of Crimea, I don't even know if it's a republic, but this area called Crimea, uh, which is traditionally pro-Russian, the, the, all of a sudden there's like military activity that, down there. But all of that aside, man, this is, this is like, the stuff that went on in Kiev is like if you were in like Times Square in New York. And... One day you saw like the Disneyfication of it, and then the next day there are like Molotov cocktails flying through the air and bombs exploding. It's hard to, it's just hard to imagine all of this going down in in what historically has been a pretty peaceful country. Um, and so I think we look at the value of photography here and just say, "Geez," and you think about the photographers. I mean, look at this. Look at this riot police guys helmets on fire and the photographer is like 25 feet away yeah it's insane I mean I see these photos and it's like it's it's hard to even discuss photography you're just like so caught up in in the in the drama that the photographs provide and again it just kind of shows you the value of photography and then down here in uh, Crimea on uh, the lens blog James Estrin uh, talked to Sergei Ponomarev, freelance photographer co covering the conflict in the Ukraine. And again, you just can't believe, like, here's a playground. And there's a soldier in full battle gear with his face covered. Um, so our best to all the people down there in the Ukraine. And then, I mean, this isn't a new photo, but it's just weird. So here is President Reagan, the, the gipper, shaking hands with a young boy, and the year is 1988. And behind the young boy, with the camera around his neck, is Putin as a KGB agent. <laughs> wow. He looks like a soccer dad there. I mean, this, I had a friend last night. You know, we have a little, a little email chain, and he said, not in response to this, but he basically was like, you know, if reality keeps doing what it's doing, the onion's going to go out of business. Because reality is so weird. I mean, it's crazy. Sometimes you just can't tell the difference between parody, satire, and, and real life. But this, this image is just like, oh, my God. Whew. Well, that was like 20 intense minutes of stuff. Let's talk about something a little more fun. Like this little retro doodad. <laughs> the Bolex. The Bolex, but it's not the film Bolex, it's the digital Bolex. Oh, man. I wonder if filmmakers are geeking out about this. 
I haven't I'm talked sure to any are. of them. Do, 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 do you know anything about the original Polex? I don't, know. I mean, I know about 16mm and 8mm yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like so much camera design that we've seen in the past couple of years, it's all like retroed out. Clearly, if you if you were like a wedding photographer and you carried this around at some Brooklyn hipster's wedding, you'd be like, everybody would be like, oh my god, I want to hire you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. But $3,299, and, and that doesn't look like, like a Canon L-mount lens or a Nikon F-mount lens. It looks right. like maybe kind of a proprietary lens. Mm -hmm. I don't know about all these new systems, but boy, does it look cool. It does look cool. It does look cool. Uh, and then in a slightly different price range, Hasselblad released the H5D 50C CMOS sensor camera. And the CMOS sensor allows them to shoot faster and have a higher ISO. So this bad boy goes up to, remember, this is a medium format camera. And medium mm. format, traditionally studio camera, right? Bigger, heavier, typically would go up to like, ISO 800, and this guy goes up to 6,400. I guess the only caveat with this is that it costs uh, like $30,000. <laughs> Just a wee bit. Yeah, but I bet the image quality is really stunning. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'd ra I'm, I'm, I'm much happier about the development of this camera than I am about all those Hasselblad, Sony, you know, let's put a piece of wood on the on the Sony camera, rebranded as a Hasselblad camera, and charged four times more. Right. This that is whole, like a. Right. This is actually a real camera. Exactly, as a real Hasselblad. I have you ever tried a, a medium format digital? No, I haven't. I'm like really curious. And I I put it, you know, I wrote this this post about New Year's resolutions that photographers do, and one of them is you should try a medium format camera. And well, now we're a quarter of the way through the year, and I haven't tried one yet, but I guess I have three more quarters to go. Mm-hmm. Get some time. <laughs> That's Google Analytics. We don't want to show that. Uh, Red Epic Dragon jumps to the top of the DxO Mark sensor charts with a score of 101. Now, I like to fancy myself <laughs> as a relatively technical person, and I know that the D800 was the previous record holder at like 95 or 96 for a score. So here's the first camera that busted the 100-point barrier. Oh, man, but they I turned, really, they I turned really, it up to 11. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what that means, though, other than they really turned it up to 11. <laughs> and they I went read, past the score. They went past the 100-point barrier. Yeah, is that even possible? Apparently it is. Apparently they're, so. They're going to need a new scale. <laughs> yes. And the thing people were pointing out is this isn't even a still camera. This is a video camera that bested the still cameras. I don't know what that means, but congratulations to Red. That, <laughs> that guy, you know, first he, he founded Oakley, the sunglasses company. I owned Oakleys for many years. Great yeah. sunglasses. And then he founded Red, which is now being used in a lot of productions. I don't know if you saw The Hobbit, the most recent Hobbit movies. Those were filmed with the Red. Oh, okay, no, I didn't. Yeah, saw okay, the neither, neither did I. <laughs> but uh, those are available to you. The red camera. Um, and then this on DP Review. You know, I, we poo-poo Nikon and Canon a lot. 
you know, they, they are the old guard in a lot of ways, and they make they made and make continue to make great cameras, but we we don't necessarily see them as the most progressive camera companies out there or companies in general out there. Uh, and then I read this review by DP Review, um, and it was an interview with kind of four of the the top people over at Canon um, in Japan, managing directors, etc. And I just thought it was like really refreshing, you know, this lead quote that says, we don't see the smartphone as an enemy. And they talk about how they really see these two devices, the DSLR and the smartphone, kind of occupying different spaces and the opportunities for them to sort of work together, which echoes a lot of sentiment that I've heard from other photographers. It would be great, Sarah, if I could Instagram a photo from my DSLR. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Or it would be great if my camera had apps on it in the way that, you know, because it was an o a relatively open ecosystem. Or, you know, we've seen Magic Lantern for Canon where you can install this secret firmware and all of a sudden shoot raw video and have all these different functions. And I think about, like, wow, what if a camera man manufacturer did that, more of like an open system? Ricoh did it, but that, you know, who's Ricoh? They, I don't know but who I, they are. I don't know. Yeah. So this was just, it was sort of refreshing, and, and who knows what the future uh, will bring for DSLRs, but uh, that was a great, that was a great interview. Um, you like, you like movies, Sarah? I do, yes. Did you watch the, did you watch the Oscars but this year? I, yes, I watched the Oscars, half of the Oscars. The good half or the bad half? The first half, <laughs> which I think was probably the best half because I did see the selfie being taken. Oh, you did see the side? Yeah, I, didn't, I only I did. watched some, some clips at the end. Vanity Fair has uh, some nice photos of like movie stars and stuff. Robert Redford shot on film. This is the right. Annie Leibovitz book, this right? This is Annie Leibovitz, yeah. Oh. She had, you know... And we've talked about this before. People get on her nowadays because she moved into this area where she's compositing mm -hmm. so much stuff, and apparently she's not the nicest lady to work with. She yells at all her assistants. I've heard all these things too, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, back in the day with the film, man, she's a good photographer. Oh, yeah. No, she's, yes, absolutely. So this, all of this stuff, uh, Vanity Fair did this because, and he's got a new book coming out, her own sumo book. Oh, man, a $2,500 coffee table. Yeah, but you literally get the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, because I'm afraid the book would break my own. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? There was that old, I think it was Helmut Newton had the original sumo book. I, I'm probably screwing that up. But that was a big, that was a big old book, too. Mm -hmm. um, and so now here's the Annie Leibovitz uh, volume and I'm trying to find a weight here but I'm sure it's like 20 or 30 pounds because it, it is a big book it is, it's, it's massive I, um, I own At Work and that's an amazing book and that's, that's fun to read because she talks a lot about her creative process Yeah. Um, but yeah that's for the, the poor folk Go buy At Work if you can't buy this. Annie Which is going to be like 99.9% .9 of the people. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, delivery is this month, so get on, get on that before they run out. It's 19.7 inches by 27.2 inches with a 476 pages. Wow. Well, she's earned it. I don't even know what's, what's up with that. Uh, Jim Richardson, friend of Photo Shelter, with a, with a relatively new Beam website here, one of the, the stories he did for National Geographic, he's a longtime National Geographic guy, was called The End of Night. And he really talked about light pollution, which seems like a first world problem, and in many ways it is, but you know, I, I think the concern is like birds get all confused and people can't sleep and you know, what's, what's the effect on society? What's the real cost of society of having the end of night? So uh, what reminded me about this was seeing this article, which doesn't have a ton to do with photography except that you can make some really nice night photography. The new International Day Sky Park opens in Michigan, only nine others in the world. It's a uh, it's a park where they really attenuate all of the light pollution, and you get to see stuff like this. Yeah, this makes me happy that they're carving out places in the world to keep night. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I think as a as a New Yorker, you, I mean, I got a, I had to buy a blackout curtain, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> to sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So this makes me happy that these places exist. And night photographers, you should definitely get out there. Go nuts. Michigan in the summer is really nice. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was in Iceland a couple weeks ago, and we drove outside of Reykjavik to where there wasn't a whole lot of light pollution to be able to see the northern lights. And, man, you can really see stuff when there's no street lights going on. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be cool if, if New York had a, a day where they're like, okay, we're turning off all the lights for like an hour. I guess we had that with the blackouts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe we should have sort of a mandate, mandated blackout like once a decade just to be like, oh, wow, it's really pretty up there. Oh, yeah, the sky, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan Taylor, friend of Photo Shelter over at In Focus. Again, this is apropos of nothing, but I saw these starlings. And if you've traveled in the Midwest, you know, I've been through Kansas and Nebraska, and you'll see kind of, Lots of birds and stuff, but <laughs> man, this, this is in Israel. Look at all these birds, and they make these the craziest patterns in the sky. Oh, that's amazing. Now I, you know, people probably say, and the and the amazing thing is they don't bump into each other. I bet they bump into each other. I bet it's like a subway up there. <laughs> I bet wings are brushing against the wing because there's there's just no way. Right. Wait, now, Alan, if I remember correctly, aren't you afraid of birds like this? I'm like not this amount of birds? birds? No, no, no. You're thinking of like some Hitchcock movie. <laughs> well, I, okay. I mean, if I was in the middle, if they were pecking my eyes out. Okay, I, I yeah. could have sworn. I can just, looking at these photos really made me think of the noise that must be created oh by all of this flapping. I mean, it must just be a very strange noise to hear. It looks like, like, uh, War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise, like you just like weird alien formations. <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I can't even imagine how many birds this represents. Can't begin to guess. Look at that black area. That's just all bird. Yeah. But you know, I read this thing about birds before, and it was talking about how many birds worldwide die a year. And you're like, I don't know, like a couple million. And it was something like five billion birds die a year. 
Wow. Like, so if five billion die, but we still can see that, there must be a lot of birds out there. <laughs> they're all flying around. They're out there. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we're gonna die soon. We better, we better fly around. Oh man. Uh, Sebastian Liszt wins the 2014 Alexia Foundation grant for his work on the new culture of violence in Latin America. I got to be honest, I didn't know the history of the Alexia Foundation. Did you? Did you know it? I did. Ah, yes. Okay. I did. Well, apparently, <laughs> just in case, well, you can you can correct me. So Alexia, whose last name I forget, was a journalism student at the Newhouse uh, School at Syracuse. Yeah, public communications. Yep. And was one of the people who died in the plane bombing, and I can't remember which plane bombing, Lockerbie maybe over Scotland, which was caused by Gaddafi. One one of these major plane incidences, uh, Alexia was killed, and they created a foundation grant that has given out uh, close. I think it was like close to seven hundred thousand dollars over the past twenty years or so to different photojournalists. Uh, and and the the top prize uh, in this case twenty thousand dollar professional grant to continue working on this project. So. I mean, a wonderful foundation and well-deserved for Sebastian. Some great work there. Absolutely. Uh, th this one's yours. Oh, yes. Take us through this one <laughs> while, I, while I try to play it. Oh, yeah, let's see if we can play. Yeah, um, Fabian Ofner, who his deal is he just loves combining science with photography, and he's done a lot of great series. Um, but this new one, he just took a few drops of alcohol, put it into a glass vessel, he let the liquid settle, and then ignited it and filmed it and took a lot of stills as well. And it just looks insane. I mean, these look like MRIs. Yeah, it looks like bone or something. Yeah, bone or brain matter. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's pretty bizarre and beautiful looking. This is, you know... the. Th we talk about the death of photography and stuff, but people keep coming up with <laughs> cool stuff. And a lot of this stuff you, you couldn't do before because the cameras weren't sensitive enough or you know required high-speed photography or, or whatnot. Oh, we're not going to watch an ad here, but I mean, you know, I referred to this, uh, as many people have, as the golden age of photography, and I continue to think so. Like, wow, you couldn't... Like a dude who wasn't a full-time scientist or a full-time photographer couldn't do this in the old days. Mm, yeah. But that, that I mean, I guess that project really resonates with you because it combines a couple of your favorite things, booze and lighting things on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Did no. I make that up? Uh, yeah, you made it up. Yeah, kind of okay. like I made up you being afraid of birds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, look at this. You brought this one up too. but. Oh, Yeah. Zach Arias' Dead Pixel, which was just uh, launched this week. Um, Zach is one of my favorite photographers, and it's not really because of his work, although I do love his work, but he is just a genuinely nice guy. Um, super nice guy. Super nice guy. I met him at Luminance uh, back in 2012 and um, caught up with him a few times since, but, you know, he's built his business, his entire business, on just being very open and honest and good at using a off-camera flash. So he's been making tutorials for people and answering uh, people's questions via his Tumblr. 
uh, just teaching one at a time how to make a good picture. And Dead Pixel uh, is all about kind of reconnecting with that inner photographer, um, why you love photography, why you like taking pictures, and pushing yourself creatively. And so what he's doing is giving out these assignments, um, and he's doing it via video, and which is great because that's Zach's strong suit, right, is showing off his personality, which he does perfectly within the video. Um, and the very first assignment is about capturing lines, and then, you know, you can upload it to the group Flickr, and everyone will be critiquing and giving you feedback, and, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do the first assignment solely because Zach is awesome. <laughs> he, and, and not only is he like yeah, like this very transparent and honest guy, he's like he's a great speaker and a great teacher. Mm -hmm. So combine, you know, it's like the trifecta. Good photographer, super approachable, and great educator. Yep, yep, totally. And this site kind of combines all of that for him, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, and check it out. You can get the Dead Pixel T on sale for $16. Buy it now. Buy it now. I want that squirrel one. Yeah, the squirrel one is featured prominently in a lot of the videos. It's like <laughs> a stuffed a stuffed squirrel. <laughs> All right, so you got to check that out. Daylight reinvents the experience of art photography. Look, I stacked all of your 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 great finds together. Oh, oh good. Good, good. Um, yeah. Daylight. Okay, so disclosure, I haven't been able to download the iPad app because I don't own an iPad. <laughs> um, but the web I've been following Daylight for a while now and they they get great photographers um, to feature and they have essays along with the images and even the site just on the on desktop you know looks great and new and a different way than I've looked at photos online in a while and I just think it's really exciting that these guys are featuring classic photographers that are gonna go down in history um, on this like new innovative way of showing their work. I think it's really cool. They've integrated Twitter within it so it becomes this, there's this social layer on top of reading the story about the images and it's just awesome. I love it. I love the daylight. <laughs> I, I want to I play kind of Mr. Negative for a second. Which okay. My, my problem with my problem with like an app that's solely dedicated to photography is that you'll never get mainstream people to download it, and if they do, they'll never look at it on a regular basis. For whatever mm -hmm. reason, like, we all acknowledge the value of photography and how it can really add to a story, and, you know, we've seen all these stats before about how uh, engagement with an article goes up when you have good photography, but not many people want to just look at photography by itself and just flip through and be like, oh, yeah, those are 10 great photos, thanks. Right. And so I think the challenge for distribution you know, for, for these types of platforms is, you know, that's why some of these other apps that will scrape sites and bring in your favorite blogs and what what's that flip, flip, whatever it is? Flipboard? No. Flipboard, yeah. No. Where it can aggregate different content. I think you have a much, if distribution is your concern and getting audience building is your concern rather than uh, having this idea of a new way to present photography, I think you're going to be more successful with the former rather than the latter. Hmm. It, you know, irrespective of how great the design is, and I and I agree with you, like it looks fantastic, but I just yeah. wonder about the long-term viability of that stuff because who wants to just see, who wants to open this app up every week, remember to open it up, you know, and check out the new photography. So, 
Always, always, you know, nearing the end on a negative note. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Can't do that. Uh, oh, we kind of flip back and forth, but here's uh, Times portraits of the winning actors from the 2014 Oscars. Oh, yeah. I thought these were great. Yeah, they're beautiful. And, and a variety of... Now, Sebastian Kim, man, you know, we used to do that, that feature, uh, Who Shot It Better? Mm -hmm. And we had one with Sebastian Kim uh, shooting Michael Fassbender um, and the other photographer, uh, Henry Lutweiler. Uh, and I picked Henry, and you know, the, all of these things are completely arbitrary. <laughs> but, but I have to say, like, I'm really enjoying Sebastian Kim's work, and he seems like a cool dude. And he's, he's, like a, he's a pretty young guy, too. Oh, yeah. I have not been following him, but... He's either. like, you know, he's a, he's, like a, he's a badass fashion photographer guy. Mm. I thought this was a great photo, too. You know, it's a little wide on the lens selection, but, but, but I think it's a great kind of evolution of McConaughey. Yeah, I, yeah, he looks very different yeah. to me. Like, that's not how I remember him from my childhood, but... <laughs> from all the rom-coms that you watch? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, a great uh, photo. And then, of course, the great Mark Seliger did kind of the same thing at the Vanity Fair Oscar party um, in his Mark Seliger style. Oh, I and love he, this. He was doing this all via Instagram, right? I, I mean, sure. it kind of looks it, right? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm almost positive he was uh, using Instagram, which I think is fun, and I'm glad that he was, rather than, like, setting up some big camera deal. I feel like it, yeah. it probably brought... It made the actors a little bit, you know, just be able to have more fun. Uh, but I was kind of like, did they build a set in the corner, or was the party just in, like, it had these really cool kind of gray... Oh. oh, yeah, there's a corner there. That is strange. I thought it was just as seamless, but no. I mean, who knows? But yeah, I mean, great personalities out of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, Mark, you nailed it again, Mark. <laughs> um, and, you know, the New York Times, of course, this is older stuff uh, from their, their movies issue, but I wanted to bring it up again because year after year they find great photographers um, with great photos and uh, I, I guess it was like in the past two or three years where they started adding video as well. Mm. Um, and just like, wow. The light, they're like movie stills. Yeah. In this particular issue. Um, Ellen's Oscar selfie crashed <laughs> Twitter breaks record. So you, uh, I guess this was part of the, the, the Oscars that you saw. Yeah, yeah. She was doing selfies the whole time, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> very, very funny. Yeah. And then photo editor, the selfie heard around the world. Um, you put that many good-looking people in one photo, yeah, it's going to get... yeah, crash Twitter. So this article actually came from Thoughts of Bo Bohemian, which is Paul Melcher's blog, who, who also has some good sites on the Getty thing, so check out his, uh, his blog. And then we end on a happy note. Well, I mean, it's a happy note because it's about the selfie. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because it's, it combines the selfie with intellectual property concerns. And I guess with the big selfie, it was actually Bradley Cooper who took the photo. Right. Right? Right. And so traditionally in intellectual property law and copyright law, the person who pushes the shutter owns the copyright. 
So they were like, okay, first, did Ellen have the right to grant distribution of this photo, or did she violate rights of publicity for all of the people in the photo? Right. I mean, this is a completely like esoteric argument, right? But for academic purposes, we'll go through it. He said, well, all of these stars, did they consent? And, and the, the first thing was, yeah, they consented by being in the selfie. They knew they were being photographed. They're movie stars. The expectation of pr uh, publicity and privacy in a setting like this kind of go away. Yeah. And then the second argument was, well, did she have the right to distribute it given that Bradley Cooper <laughs> took the photo? And then there was the whole argument. I just love this. I can't remember who the lawyer was, but he was like an entertainment or IP lawyer in LA. He basically said, this was, con this was a work-for-hire arrangement. Mm. In the same way that Bradley Cooper knows when he's hired, <laughs> it's a work-for-hire arrangement, and he doesn't, get, you know, he doesn't have the copyright to a movie that he's in because he was hired to perform a specific task. And when <laughs> Ellen handed the camera over to him, even though there wasn't a written contract, it was understood that it was a work-for-hire arrangement, and it was on her phone, and she passed it to him, and he could have declined, but Ellen owns the copyright for this photo. Oh, that's great. So that's... Uh, What's a bit, here's, it's a mistake that, that Sam. It's a mistake that Samsung didn't uh, sign something with Ellen saying we're going to own everything <laughs> that, you, that you take on the, on the Samsung phone during well, the Oscars. My, my understanding was that they got a lot of airplay uh, you know, everybody saw that phone. Right, that's true. That was great. That was a good move, Samsung. Yeah. So I think it, it, you know, if there was another story that said, oh, by the way, Samsung demanded that they own all the <laughs> I think the outcome wouldn't have been as great. True. That's true. So there's the, there you go. We finished another, another week. We did. Uh, you know, you know this Getty thing is not going to go away. You know that we're going to be talking about this some more, and as more people sort of analyze and weigh in on this stuff, uh, we might have to bring some people onto Isle of Photography Live or do a completely separate uh, webinar to talk about all of this stuff. We should. Um, but I guess thanks Getty for <laughs> keeping it interesting. I know that the team from Getty's flying down to South by Southwest, so maybe you, if you see them down there uh, next week, go ahead and ask them about that. There's apparently a Getty party going on next week. Get your invite to that. <laughs> um, but uh, Sarah, it's supposed to be in the 50, 50s this week, uh, this weekend in New York. We finally seem to be getting out of this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, glad to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so for Sarah Jacobs, uh, this is Alan Murabayashi. Thank you for joining us once again for I Love Photography Live. We will see you next week, Friday. Bye-bye.